0: Romans chapter 3, verse 21. What we see here, uh, as, a, as a point of intro, Romans three twenty one through 26, uh, is really the heart of the gospel. Last week I tried to, to summarize everything with one word, and that is the, the idea, the biblical truth of propitiation, that in Christ God satisfied all the righteous demands all of his righteous demands in Christ. And, and we said that the word there was to satisfy, to propitiate meant to satisfy. And the dilemma of the gospel is this, is how can how can a righteous God declare sinners to be righteous? How can, how can sinners be declared righteous and yet fulfill the penalty that their sin is? Is due that the law demands of it. How can God maintain his righteous character and yet forgive sinners? How can he declare sinners to be righteous? How can both of these things happen simultaneously? And the answer is propitiation. We looked at it last week propitiation. That God offer a satisfactory sacrifice on our behalf, that Christ is our substitute, that Christ satisfied all the demands of God's righteousness. And now, through faith, we can be declared righteous. And over the next few weeks, I want to delve into that specifically in verses 21 through 26. And I want to take our time and work through this in a really unique way, I think different way, almost Teach it more than preach it. Uh, I think all preaching includes teaching, and, but not all teaching includes preaching. And, and we, will, we will hopefully preach it as well, but really teach it. Not only teach the section, but teach us almost how to study the Bible as well. Because 21 through 26, again, this is the heart of the gospel. This is the centerpiece, if you will. And you see on your handout the main point. The main point for the next couple weeks is this. That sinners can be declared, the word there is declared righteous. They they can be justified, if you will. And thus reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ and His gracious, completely satisfactory sacrifice to redeem us. The, the, The monumental idea that though we're sinners, we can be declared righteous. Undoubtedly, this is the mo- one of the most important texts, if not the most important text. Many many commentators uh, declared that uh, Leon Morris, a, a very uh, a- a widely respected theologian, he said this that this passage is possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. A- another uh, gospel writer said that if we could only have six verses out of the entire Bible, it would be Romans 3, 21 through 26. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, that it is no exaggeration to say of this section that it is one of the greatest and most important sections in the whole Scripture. What what we see here in verses 21 through 26 is the heart of the gospel. And, And again, I want to take our time not that we haven't been taking our time. Some of you are thinking, what's new? Take your time. I really want to take our time. And that we, we really get every ounce of meat off of these bones that we can. Look, look with me at, 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 at verse 21. Paul writes, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. "...even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God publicly displayed as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed." For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that, here it is, God would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. That's the dilemma of the gospel. How does God maintain his justness? That, that's the same root word as righteousness. How does God maintain his righteousness and yet declare righteousness upon sinners? That's the issue. So I want to pick these verses, we're only going to go through 24 today, I want to pick them apart, uh, and, and you'll see them there on your handout, verse 21, the, the word there is apart, but now apart from the law. The first point Paul makes you, makes very aware is that this is a righteousness that is apart from the law, but now, anytime you see that, we have talked about it, therefore, but now, Paul is connecting what he's saying right now to what we saw Specifically in verses 19 and 20. Paul has just concluded that no person will be declared declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law, and, and that what the law did was simply make us aware of our sinfulness and guilt. No person is declared righteous through the law. What the law did was, again, he says it there. Now that we know whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed, and here it is, all the world may become accountable to God. Here, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Here's what, here's what the law did. God gave the law, again, revealing, revealing the, a, a, a picture of the greatness of his righteousness. And here's what the law did. it it exposed every single one of us that we fall short. That's what the law did. Was the law righteous? Absolutely the law was righteous. Romans 7, Paul is going to make that very clear. The law came from God. God is perfectly righteous. Everything that flows from Him is righteousness. But what the law did was simply expose to you and I that we aren't righteous. Here's the standard, he says. And no one measures up. It's what James says. If you stumble at one point, here's how righteous God is. If you stumble at one point of the law, if you you fell short, listen, one time in your life, you fall short of the righteousness of God. If you stumble even one point, you're guilty. That's how perfectly righteous God is. Don't, don't, don't just pass over these words here, again, in amazement of all of what we just spent, three or four weeks in Romans 1, 18 through three twenty exposing our sinfulness. Why? So that we would cherish the but now of verse 21. We, we ought to be desperate for somebody to get, do something on our behalf. For righteousness to come in some other way. Why? Because we are completely unrighteous and are in need of a Savior. Galatians 3.24 explains that that was, was in large part, that was the goal of the law. It was a tutor, it says in 3.24 of Galatians, to lead us to Christ. To to lead us to, to look for somebody to be righteous on our behalf. I and mean, think about all that we saw in Romans 1.18 through 3.20. Again, a picture of the people for whom Jesus comes and dies for. People who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. People who exchange the truth of God for a lie. People who have sinned in all sorts of ways. People who hypocritically do the very thing that we hate. People who are prideful. People who are arrogant. People who think that, that because of this and that we can earn or merit or deserve God's favor. What Paul has exposed in 118-320 through 320 is that we are utterly sinful to the core. Jew, Gentile alike, all stand under, that was verse 9. What then, are we better than they? Not at all. For he has charged that both Jews and Greeks are all Under sin. That's the verdict. And in spite of that, in spite of the rebellion, in spite of all of that, but now God, apart from the law, has revealed His righteousness. God, God has revealed a way for that sin to be dealt with. We ought to stand amazed by that, that God would do that. Again, he's not doing this for his friends. He's doing this for his enemies. He's not doing this for people who sought after him. He's doing this for haters of God. God, in his greatness and his mercy and all that he is, has, again, revealed a righteousness that is apart from the law. What does he mean by this? You see it on your handout. A, that th- what he means by this is multi, many things. There is nothing inside or outside of us that could do for us what God has done through the gospel. There's nothing inside or outside of us. There's no merit in us. Listen, every religion outside of biblical Christianity supposes that there is a way for man to become right with God through works. Every other religion apart from biblical, even some that supposedly call themselves Christian seek works to merit favor, to earn favor between sinners and a holy God. Every other religion is man's effort to be reconciled to God by earning his favor through something that we do. But biblical Christianity is God reconciling sinful man to himself apart from good works apart from anything about us. Biblical Christianity is God sending His his Son, the Eternal One, Jesus, to pay the penalty of sin that you and I deserve to pay. As we said last week, biblical Christianity is not, hey, you make an offering to, to a holy God to try to appease Him. Biblical Christianity is a holy God making His own offering to Himself to appease Himself. God is offering the offering on your behalf. Totally different. God is propitiating himself on your behalf. We we looked last week at all all other religions, all these Greek gods that were existing in this day, Man would have to appease them and and twist their arm and and do all this stuff to try to get them to do what man wanted them to do. And yet here in the the biblical gospel, the true gospel, is a holy, righteous God offering His own sacrifice on your behalf. On behalf of sinners. So that God would be just and the justifier of those who have faith in, in Christ. Please, please don't let that pass by. Please, please don't 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 miss the amazement there. That when at the very moment when you and I could do absolutely nothing about our sin, God did what we could not do. Grace. God interposed grace. Not that he hadn't been gracious. But he revealed his righteousness in a a way specific to deal, again, to deal with our sin. No, No person, what Paul is saying here is this, is no person is justified on the account of their ethnicity. No person is justified on account of their moral excellence. All have failed. Therefore, we can't get back to God on our own. And yet God has revealed his righteousness apart from the law. And why? So that no one would boast. We'll see this in 327. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No. Faith. That's the whole point. Go to 1 Corinthians. All throughout scripture. Why did God do this? So that you and I couldn't boast. So all praise and glory would be to him alone. Nothing. There is nothing inside or out of, outside of us that we could do to warrant God's righteousness. But secondly, B, what, is he, what he means by but now is this. It, it refers to a totally new sphere of existence and relationship to God. From the old life of sin and death to the new life of righteousness and eternal life. He's talking about an entirely new status that God offers believers. Totally new status and and I think it would do all of us a lot of good to to contemplate all of the scriptures that speak to the rescuing to the redemption of, of the sinner by God by grace I mean if, just in Romans alone if we'll get there but romans six twenty one therefore what benefit were Were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Listen, but now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. Do you see the but now? Romans 7, 5, and 6. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit and for for death. But now... We have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of letter. Romans 16, verses 25 and 6. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested by the Scriptures and the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to the obedience of faith. At the beginning of Romans, Romans 1-7, and at the end of Romans, Romans 16-25, here's what you see, obedience of faith. You have been set free. Through Christ, you can be set free from the law of sin and death to eternal life Why? To obey, not to earn it, but because you've been set free. God has offered an entire new sphere of existence. Outside of Christ, wrath and condemnation. Inside of Christ, eternal life. Totally new sphere of existence that God has offered you through Christ. Enemy, pre-Christ, son and daughter, in Christ. Total new existence. I See that. But now, apart from the law, again, nothing that you could do to warrant it or to deserve it. He says, apart from the law, again, the righteousness of God, that's the second fill-in. The righteousness of God has been manifested. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Listen, the righteousness of God dominates this entire section. You see it in verse 21. Look at verse 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith. Verse 23 and 24, that being justified as a gift, same root word. 25, whom God publicly displayed as a perpetuation into blood, this was to demonstrate God's righteousness. Verse 26, for the demonstration, I'd say, of God's righteousness. This entire section is dominated by the righteousness of God. That's the very thing that you and I lack as sinners. We fall short. And what we see here is that Paul is explaining how the righteousness of God is revealed or manifested, witnessed in the gospel. This is the emphasis in what is being revealed God's righteousness again we said it a few weeks ago we hear it all the time the oh the gospel is a is a picture of how awesome I am and my worth and this and that listen to me the gospel is a demonstration more than anything else of the righteousness of God it is a demonstration of the righteousness of God it is a demonstration of the holiness and the total set-apartness of this one true God What it reveals about you and I is that we fall short. What it reveals about you and I is that we need a substitute. That's what it reveals. Listen, God is not dying for his best friends here. He's not dying for good people. He's not dying for righteous people. He's dying for his enemies. He's dying for people who have suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. He's dying for people who have exchanged the truth of God for a lie he's dying for people who have worshiped the created over the creator he's dying for people who took what was meant to be glory for him and robbed that glory and looked for and glorify ourselves See, that's who he's dying for he's he's dying for for glory thieves that demonstrates the righteousness of god And in doing this, Paul is is really going back to the very statement he made in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, from the Jew first, for also to the Greek. For in it, what what is revealed? The righteousness of God is revealed. Paul could have said a lot of things there. You know what he says the gospel reveals? The righteousness of God. He's going back to show you how the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. And you see it on your handout. The emphasis, the word there is emphasis. The emphasis here is, again, it's not the reception of the revelation. It's how the revelation was revealed. Specifically that God is the one that is doing this. We're we're so fast to run to make everything about ourselves. Listen, this is about God. God is revealing something about Himself, and in doing so, He's also revealing something about us. But this is primarily a revelation about the righteousness of God. And this righteousness has been, again, manifested... He says, by the law and the prophets. This is nothing new. One of the ways, again, that God made himself, that's a huge deal. The word there is witness, witness by the law and the prophets. God made himself known, certainly through the law. The law did reveal the righteousness of God. Again, Romans 7 will will explain that. And what it did primarily is expose that you're a sinner and you need a savior. And again, even there, Christ is the focal point. What what Paul is saying is this gospel is not in opposition to the Old Testament. It's not one gospel for the Old Testament and a new gospel in the New Testament. Paul is writing to say this is consistent. This revelation that I'm giving you, this revelation of the righteousness of God, is witnessed in the Old Testament. Again, Romans 1-2 spoke to this. Talks about set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the holy scriptures. Even Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. I'll get there eventually. Hebrews 1 2. In these la- starting verse 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Even in Romans 1:17, when he says the righteous shall live by faith, he's quoting Habakkuk 2, 4 there. The righteous shall live by faith. If we ever make it to Romans chapter 4, he's going to use Abraham as example to prove that it's not through the law that someone is declared righteous, but through faith, even the great Abraham, through faith. In Romans four four and five now to the one who works his wage is not credited as a favor but what is due, but to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly again who is he justifying not good people the ungodly now to the one who just again to believes in who justifies the ungodly his what? His faith is credited as righteousness. Faith. Even the great Abraham was justified by faith apart from the works of the law. What is Paul saying? Justification has always been through faith, not through the law. Again, not two gospels, not an Old Testament gospel and a New Testament gospel, one gospel. And again, what we see here is not that, again, it's not not new in that the Old Testament pointed to it. You see in your handout. God promised it in the Old Testament. He fulfilled it in the New Testament. What God promised in the Old, He has fulfilled in the New. And even this is a declaration of God's righteousness. That God was faithful to do exactly what He said He would do. God initiated it. God fulfilled it. The Old Testament, we saw it. Again, predicted this revelation of God's righteousness. Salvation has and always will only be through faith in Christ. Abraham what? He believed and it was credited as righteous. And again, everything in the Old Testament, it was pointing that one day God would offer Christ. Even in Genesis 3.15, God promised a Savior who would deal with Satan. And what this reveals is that God's righteousness is being revealed. And again, what he says here is that literally it's open for everyone to see for themselves. The whole world. His Son is on a cross, on a hill, for all the world to see. The revelation of Jesus Christ open for everyone to hear about. The question is, how will you respond? Because think about it. If there was a way to get to God any other way other than Jesus dying, why did Jesus have to die? The reality is there was no other way. And yet we have the righteousness of God in that He offered the way. For anyone who would receive it by faith, their sins could be forgiven. They could be declared righteous. You see it in a handout. God is righteous. He reveals His righteousness through everything He does. And He does, the word there is exactly. God does exactly what He promises He will do no matter how long it takes. God has offered his righteousness in a totally, in a way that is totally apart from the law. And this in and of itself, it's grace. God, listen, God is the one doing this. God is the one revealing it. He is the one that is doing this. Grace. Grace. And the obvious question comes, where, where is this, again, where or what is this revelation? Well, Paul goes on to say that in verse 22. Again, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. Again, the fill-in there, God offers sinners a righteousness that only comes through faith. Again, Paul has emphasized the divine side. God is the one who is doing this. God is the one authoring this. And here, in a sense, he offers the the human side, if you will, of this transaction, meaning meaning the proper response, faith. Faith. Not that God's not involved sovereignly even in our faith, but he offers, listen, this is not some automatic universal Idea here that, oh, God offered His Son, so we're all going to heaven in a little rowboat. That's not the point. Through faith. Has the offer been made? Yes. Is it satisfactory for whosoever would call upon in the name of the Lord? Yes. But you must call upon the name of the Lord. In order to receive this gift, you must humbly r- repent of your sins and call out to the Lord. Faith. Again, universally available to all who believes, everyone who believes, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of anything that you have or have not done. The revelation of, again, the revelation of God is His saving power and righteousness in rightly making a way for sinners to be justified, to be declared righteous through faith in the work of Christ. Christ's work was totally satisfactory. And you see it on your out there. God is revealed as righteous in that he has made a way for sinners to be forgiven while maintaining his righteous character and at the same time rightly justifying sinners. That's the point, that he would be just, verse 26, and the justifier of those who have what? Faith in Christ. That's the word. Faith. You say, Chris, what is faith? Well, again, Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2 tell us that. Beautiful definition of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. What is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The word word picture there literally is of title deed. You're that confident. You build your entire life on it. It's not just man, I hope so. It's certainty. And where is this certainty placed? This certainty is placed in the work of Christ as being totally sufficient for the forgiveness of our sin. Not Christ plus something else. Not Christ minus me doing something else. It's Christ alone. All your eggs in that basket. That's faith. It's confidence. It's assurance. It's in something not seen, but it's an assurance of what you haven't seen. And this faith is the sole means of justification apart from works, only by faith. Again, and you see it on your handout, the righteousness of God that he offers through faith is available. The word is available. Look at what Paul says. Again, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. There is no distinction. Whether you're a Jew, whether you're a non-Jew, faith in Christ is the only way that someone can be declared righteous and forgiven of their sins justified. Ethnicity doesn't give you an exemption. Nothing you have or haven't done doesn't give you an exemption. There is no distinction between people due to their ethnicity. That's what Paul is saying. There is no distinction. Leveled playing field. This is what Paul just said in Romans 1.18 through, through 3.20. There are none righteous. No, not even one. No distinction. Jew, unrighteous. Non-Jew, unrighteous. Level playing field. This is what the writer of Hebrews says in 11.6 as well. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and listen, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. In chapter 11, what does the writer of Hebrews does, do? He gives us examples of men and women throughout history who sought him by faith. By faith. Every one of the examples in, Romans, in Hebrews 11. By faith, by faith, by faith. Universally offered, regardless of anything about us, no distinction. If your sins are going to be forgiven, you can only achieve that through faith in Christ. That's the only way your sins can be rightly forgiven. But, it's available to all those who believe in Christ for their righteousness. You say, Chris, why? Why do, we need, why do we need a substitute? 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The word there is sinned. All have sinned. Paul is summing up what he just said. And listen, there's lots of ways even in this room that we will divide ourselves. And there's lots of ways to divide ourselves. But there is no distinction with every single person in this room with regard to our basic standing before God. Regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of anything you've done or haven't done, listen to me, all have sinned. Every single person in here is is born an enemy of of a living, holy God. That is the state for every single one of us. Jew, Gentile alike. There is no advantage, no disadvantage that you can cling to. Paul is summing up what he just said. All have sinned. Listen, and Paul is saying this to Jews who would have clung to the law, would have clung to circumcision, would have clung to all these outward things. And before we come down on them, listen, Paul is saying that today to an American culture who has a great religious heritage, who... who. Right or wrong claims that we were founded on Christianity. Good people cling to their works as charity, as evidence of their goodness. Listen, nothing, nothing is, nothing has changed. And to all of that, listen to what Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What's Paul saying? Doesn't matter if you're Jewish. Doesn't matter if you grew up in America and doesn't matter what our forefathers stood for. Every single one of us individually have sinned. Therefore, we got a problem. Not, not, you're not, your Jewishness doesn't make a bit of difference. You're, you're American, doesn't matter. You've sinned. You've fallen short of the glory of God. You, you do not meet the standard of a righteous God. And again, Paul is summing up everything he just said in verse 118 uh, through 320. And here's the conclusion. Regardless of who you are, that's the fill-in. Regardless of who you are or anything respective about you, all have sinned. All. Therefore, we need a righteousness that's outside of us. We need grace. Grace. Listen, he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The fill-in there on your handout is glory. And Paul Paul makes it very clear here what sin is. It's not falling short of your own standards. It's not falling short of your parents' standards. It's not falling short of, of America's standards. It's falling short of the glory of God. It's falling short. The word there literally points to God's greatness, His awesomeness, His perfection. You know, we've fallen short. Really, what He's saying there is, you and I fall short of God-likeness. We don't measure up. We fall short of His character. By the way, that's what you were created. God created you in His image, in His glory. He created you to bring glory to himself, and we've fallen short of that. Literally, literally, what Paul is saying here is this. Sin is the lacking. The word is lacking. Sin is the lacking of the glory of God. The word there, the word there falls short, literally can be, be interpreted lacking. We lack, listen, as sinners, we lack godliness, we lack righteousness, we lack the glory of God. We were created in the image of God, created for the glory of God, and this has been ruined by sin. Again. In salvation, God declares you to be righteous. In sanctification, you begin to pursue that righteousness. In glorification, God will give you fully that righteousness. But that's the issue. It's righteousness. You and I aren't righteous. We lack that. Salvation, what God is doing, please hear me. God is not saving you to heal your marriage, to to heal your bank account, to do any of those things primarily. God is giving you gift righteousness. That's what you need. That's what the gospel offers. 2 Corinthians 3.18, but But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, listen, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Do you see what God's doing in salvation? He's restoring His image in you. He's setting you on a path to restoring the the God-likeness, the image that he created you for. To reflect our creator rightly. This is why it's so important in 1 Corinthians 10.31. I I believe this is what Paul in his mind when he says, Whatever you do, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Do, Do you see what he's saying there? That's what you were created for. God created you to bring glory to God. And the beauty of that is this, that God has gifted all of us differently. Whether it's Matthew Hewitt beating people at tennis, do it to the glory of God, Matthew. If it's Jordan Rainer writing books, do it to the glory of God, Jordan. If it's Richard helping people with their investments, do it to the glory of God. If it's Jimmy being the principal of Liberty at middle school, do it to the glory of God. Students, if it's excelling at, at, at anything, whatever you do, however God has gifted you, do it to the glory of God. That's how we redeem this. That's how God's image goes forth. You do it to the glory of God. Whatever you do, even down to whether you eat Or drink. And Paul is saying there whether you choose to eat or drink different things. Again, in that day it was very divisive. Whether you do it or whether you don't do it. Do it to the glory of God. Even Romans 14 verse 23 we'll see in a very divisive chapter. In a sense of dealing with divisive things. Liberties amongst freedoms. He says whatever is not done of faith is sin. Do it to the glory of God. We can mask it. We can make excuses in all kinds of ways. But listen to me. Romans 3.23 is humanity's number one problem. At the root of all of our problems. At the root of every single one of our problems is sin. Listen. And, and I don't mean to make light of this. I struggled with this. And I don't, I, I again, I think you know me well enough. I'm not, I, I, I don't, we're not making political statements. We're not doing any of that. We're stating facts. Listen, why do we see shootings in our culture? Sin. Sin. That's the issue. Listen, why can't even our Hallmark stars get their kids into college? Sin. Listen, you'd have thought the world, like, fell off its axis in our home with when whatever her name is. Like, when calls the heart can't go on. Like Karen, her next show is called When Calls the Police. That's why I don't watch that. Mountie Jack dying was the least of her problems. Listen. Yeah, if you and made it season five, that dude dies. Forgive me, but he dies. I think he's alive somewhere, going to come back. I watched too many soap operas with my mom growing up. Listen, government scams. You know what the issue is? It's not Democrats. It's not Republicans. It's sin. Bribery, abuse, marriage issues. The issue is sin. Sin. At some point, at some point, th- again, this is, the, this is the root issue that the world will not acknowledge. We'll blame everything else. We will not go back to the root issue. Sin. Sin. By the way, this, why, don't, why doesn't the world let us go back here? Because here's the deal. It forces you to deal with the issue. And the only way you deal with sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, all you and I have ever known is sin. The the reason, even the reason you and I can read this verse, 323, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The reason we can read this verse and not be brought to our knees in amazement and, and, and just act like nothing happened, the amazement of what God has done in Christ Jesus, the reason why we even blush at that is because of how sinful we are. We don't know. All we know is sin. And when Paul says, but now, apart from the law of God, the righteousness of God, we just glance over that. Why? Because all we've ever known is sin. We have no concept of how sinful we are. It's part of the reason why we don't want to read this book. The more I read this Bible, here's what I walk away with I am a wretch. I don't measure up. Could be my attitudes, could be my motives. Everything about me needs transformation. Lacks the glory of God. The thought that God would be gracious and crucify His Son for me. The righteous for the unrighteous. The reason we would yawn at that, even as believers, is because, again, our sinfulness dulls us to our sinfulness. We don't grasp just how wretched we are. And and we think like we're the debtor that only owed 50 denarii when the reality is we owed a billion denarii. We don't grasp his grace. Even the idea that, the, the, again, the seed of every single, listen to me, the seed of every single sin ever committed lies in yours and my heart. Listen, there's not a single sin that has ever been committed that you and I couldn't commit. Oh, but for the grace of God. Oh, but for the grace of God. Oh, I'd never do that. Okay. You don't think so? Even that is a reminder that we don't know how sinful we are. The fact that we would ignore this book and think we're okay on our own You're telling, I'm not really as bad as I think it is. I need, listen, you and I both, we need the Holy Spirit fighting sin in my flesh at every turn. And we ignore this book. You know what we're saying? I don't need his help. I got this. You don't understand how sinful you are. I mean, think about this. Every other aspect of God's creation obeys God except for you and me. Think about that for just a moment. The oceans, they know just how far they can go. And then they stop. The stars, they do exactly what God designed them to do. The planets, they do exactly what God designed them to do. Animals, they do exactly... Again, they're all marred by sin. Creation groans, to be sure. But listen... The oceans, the sun, the stars, the moons, everything else takes their cues from God and obey. And yet we have the nerve to disobey. Think about that. Not only disobey, but we got the nerve to belittle our disobedience. That's our nature. And that's that's who God sent his son for. You see it on your handout, the picture we have is that all have sinned and that sin is essentially rejection of God and His glory as the supreme value in our lives. That's what sin is. Sin considers God in His glory, and instead of loving God's glory and treasuring God's glory and living for God's glory, we have the arrogance to exchange our own glory in the place where God was meant to get glory. That's what sin is. And listen, sin has everything to do about God. It is a disposition and a, and a belittling of God. You see it in the handout, It's the belittling of God's glory by not trusting Him, not treasuring Him, and not wanting Him as the foundation and center of our lives. That's the issue. We can argue over sin, we can argue about it, we can argue dot, dot, dot. Listen, at the bottom line is this. You're, you're, you're refusing to put God as the foundation and the center of you if you, you have taken God, who is meant to be the center of the universe, and you've replaced it with yourself. That's what sin is. That's the issue. Somebody didn't make you do it. Nobody made you do it. You chose to make the whole world revolve around you. That's sin. We've taken what was meant for God's glory and we've traded it away. We've loved other things more than God. We've treated God and His glory with indifference and lukewarmness. And the issue becomes okay, how am I made right with God? Because this falling short is sin, and thus we need a Savior. And that's verse 24, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Being justified by grace, not by works, no, by grace. In the, in the very moment of falling short of the glory of God, God crucified His Son. The character of God's justification Again, you sit on your hand, our forgiveness of our sin and justification is totally by the grace of God. Totally. Again, e- even look at here, real quick. Being justified. I- I'm not a, a grammar major, but I do know enough to know this that that's in the passive. He didn't say be justified like you had to do something. Being justified, it's passive. God is the one doing this, God is the one offering this. Justification, again, that is something that God does. It's not something that we do. Being justified. He is the actor. He is the one acting upon us here. This is the way salvation is. It is finally and decisively, again, the act of a, of a, of a righteous father. And again, God, justify and righteousness, they, they have the same root word. This is God revealing his righteousness and offering it to us through faith. And again, the word justify, it does not mean to make righteous in an ethical sense, nor does it mean to treat as righteous, though though we're really not. It means to declare somebody righteous. It has a legal sense to it. It is rendered the moment you place your faith in Christ, God declares you righteous. It is, again, is a judicial verdict. It's, again, justifying it is something that the judge does. The opposite of justify is to condemn. We'll see that in Romans 8, 1. But now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because you've been justified by grace through Christ. You see it in your handout. To be justified, I'm trying to get through these quickly, it's 1050. To be justified means to be acquitted. Acquitted by God from all charges that can be brought against a person, do their sins, Totally unmerited by anything we could could do in and of ourselves. It literally means to render a favorable verdict. And Paul says, this is by grace. This word grace, it's charis in the Greek. Favorite word of Paul. Uh, Paul uses this verse a hundred times. He uses this word a hundred times in his letters. Ninety-five verses. And listen... All but nine. So 91 out of 100 times, you know where Paul points to, who Paul points to with this grace? The grace of God. 91 out of 100 times, he links it with God. Again, grace po- reminds us God was unconstrained. And it, listen, he was unconstrained by you or me. What constrained him was his righteousness you and I had no reason to lay claim or on God's favor and yet but now what we deserved was wrath and condemnation but now again he has offered justification through by grace through the redemption in Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus God doesn't just act like we hadn't sinned. He didn't just sweep things under the rug. God paid the price. And again, it only comes, the handout there, the, the justification only comes through faith in the redemption of Christ. That his, that his offer was satisfactory. Through the redemption that is in Christ. You can write down Ephesians 1.7. You can write down a Colossians 1.14. They both teach that that the effect of our salvation is that we avoid condemnation. We avoid the wrath that is due our sin. We've been forgiven. And the point is this, then leave sin alone. You live, believer, you are in a totally new sphere. Totally new identity. Again, what he's saying there, you see it in a handout, that, that you have been delivered from the power and the penalty of your sin let that, let, that, let that weigh on your head for a moment. L- listen, this is Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. Where there was wrath, where there was condemnation, where there was animosity, God has offered peace through Jesus Christ. Reconciled. And listen, Paul is laying the foundation here as we close to, to remind us that the cross is indeed the great turning point in human history. God's revelation of his righteousness in Christ, a new age, if you will, is of, of restored in relationship to God. And, and, and the last handout there is important. I put it at the end so if you knew two pages ago that all the fill-ins were at you to close your Bible. So I'm learning to keep one out. I'm holding one out to the very end. Keep you engaged. Listen, this truth about grace and reconciliation and redemption and who we are in Christ is objective in nature. As they focus on the truth of who we are and how God sees believers through faith in Christ. Listen, here it is. And there is nothing here regarding how we feel. Don't make this about how you feel. This is an objective reality. The the challenge is to build, as believers, to build our entire lives around who you are in Christ Jesus. Justified, redeemed, forgiven, adopted. Those are not simply titles to just throw around. They're titles to change how we see ourselves. Regardless of how you feel, Again, in, the, in a hospital room on Tuesday, it, it's very, very, very tempting to feel abandoned at that moment by our Savior. And yet, you, you, you know, in spite, I remember as the doctor was sharing this news, there was just something in me just boiling up and, and thinking about this passage. And I just kept, I wanted to interrupt him and say, but now, but now. You can say all you want to say about this man right here. Here's the beauty of the gospel. You know what, you know what, we're saddened by it. Listen, and you're saddened by it, Doc, but here's the deal. If he dies because of this, you know all it's going to do for him as a believer is get him to his Savior quicker. And in death, you know what Paul says? We win. Because the enemy of death is separation from a holy God. And you know what, Jesus Christ has taken the sting out of death and now death for a believer ushers us into the presence of our Savior. But now, live, believer. Live in light of that. Let Let that truth permeate your lives, who you are in Christ, and do all things to the glory of the Lord as a believer. But now, live in light of the but now.